Well, we're in the series on Romans, and we've been, we've been learning, especially since chapter 12, we've been learning about the life applications of the, of the Word of God. And we want to do the will of God, and the will of God is clearly stated here in the verses that I'm going to share with you guys today. Not that you'll like them, not that you'll naturally accept them, but they are the words of God in matters of our civil obedience to authorities. And what a difficult topic. What a, what a thing to be talking about in these days when the headlines are about a government that spends money over areas that are atrocious, morally atrocious, or a time when we see the abuse of power so much in, in our lives. We see authorities that have power and they use it wrongfully. You know, in a day and age when sometimes everything that this leadership does, we are oppositional to, and they keep doing more and more of those things. So it's time to really be disciples, and it's time to listen to Jesus. It's time to be those that learn from the Master. And so we'll look at the Lord Jesus Christ today, and we'll consider what the Word of God has to say to all of us with regard to the words of authority. You see, in, in this congregation right now, here and above, the word authority strikes something in you. You might be the compliant one. Yes, I will do what I'm told. Yes, I will obey. I am a compliant person. Probably not most of you. Most of you go, authorities is a bad word. It's a weighty word. I don't like the word, and I don't like being told what to do. You know, my wife is here, and, and we've had four sons, you know, and it's funny how kids start. Some kids come out, whoop, compliant. They do what mom and dad say. They obey the rules. Some of them say, yes, mom, yes, dad. And others come out and they shake their fist at mom from the crib and they go, you aren't going to be able to make me do what you say. I'm going to rebel against you. See, it's nature. It's nature. But with authorities, all of us are under authority. All of us are under authority. And part of the renewing of our minds that Romans 12, 2 talks about is how is your attitude and how are you living under the words of God the word that he speaks about how we are to, to be towards civil authority. This is a really important lesson. You see, there are naturally four conflicting problems for Christians, just like there were for Rome. The first problem that's going to be just naturally exists has to do with what are we talking about. You see, the civil government is secular, right? None of the governments here in Broadview Heights or State of Ohio or the national level are spiritual, they're secular organizations. They're secular things. And so they see the world as this is it. This is what's important. This is the most important. This, this is it, right? Secular meaning that they, they're not spiritual like the church. The church is a spiritual organism. We live in the kingdom of God. We worship a king. We are dual citizens then. We have to live under this secular government who thinks this is all about properties and taxes and laws and rules, but yet we live under a king who is glorious, eternal, everlasting. He's promised us eternal life. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God, right? This is so temporary, and it's getting closer and closer to that time when Jesus will come and establish his kingdom. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and there'll be no sin and no corruption. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And we'll live eternally with him in his presence. What a hallelujah. What a promise. What a reality. But in the meantime, we live in this world. Yay, yay, yay. We live in this world. 
Second conflict that's going to exist naturally, well, it has to do, like, look at Peter. Peter was speaking to the early church, and he's, he's trying to change their minds. He's saying, look, you guys, you're no longer of this world. You're just sojourners. You're just aliens going through here. Do you feel that way? Do you sense that? Like, I don't belong in this world. Right, because God has placed eternity in your heart. God has done a work in your heart, and this is not our home. <laughs> right? Heaven is our home. We're just passing through. Paul was trying to say this to the, to the church early on. He was trying to help them understand. And when he said to them in Philippians 3, he says to them clearly, you are citizens in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even now, come Lord Jesus, before I finish this message. Even now, come Lord Jesus. Yes, my heart breaks for people who don't know Christ. But my heart breaks for the suffering. My heart breaks for the, the need of this world to have a king who rules beautifully, purely, majestically, perfectly. Because certainly there's nothing in the world like it. The third thing is in Acts chapter 5, you know, you guys know this story. Peter and the apostles are out speaking the word of God. They're preaching Jesus to the, to the people. And along come the authorities. And they say, okay, now stop that. And they said, no, 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 no. We, we must obey God rather than men. There's the conflict. How about you? How about you? The news is filled with stories of men and women who stand up and say, I can't do what you're telling me because of my conscience and because of the word of God. And sooner or later, it'll be members of our community here who may be in the headlines. Maybe sooner than we think, a public school teacher here is going to be a headline story. When we're told, you're going to teach this. And the word of God says, no, you can't teach that. And the conscience that's been developed says, no, I can't do that. So I'm closing that chapter and I'm refusing to do it. I'm refusing to teach this. You see, the state's corrupt. The governments are always corrupt. They're run by, by men that are, that are depraved. The state will never be a theocracy here. We're never going to have a, a king upon a throne who's, except Jesus and his kingdom. We're never going to have a religious leader who's going to settle all these problems. I was reading one pastor who was writing in 1976, and he was so excited about Jimmy Carter. He was so excited that a born-again Christian was becoming president. And in his mind, it was like, oh, man, here we go. We're going to move into the, the new era when, when government will become sanctified. No, it's not. It didn't happen. Did the 70s turn this nation into a religious, into a holy nation? There is a holy nation, and I'm looking at it. Because this is what Peter says we are. We are a holy nation set apart for God. Yes, we're within this nation. We are dual citizens is what we are. There's natural conflict. We must obey God, not man. We must obey God. And fourthly, officials used their authority in this early century. They began to oppose the church, and they began to persecute the church. You see, those who don't stand for Christ stand against him. I don't know if you like that, but if you're not for him, you're against him. And so naturally, Satan's behind some of the darkness that government operates in. And the government begins to use its force and use its power against Christians. Of course it does. It always has. It always has. I mean, I was a world history teacher, an American history teacher, for 28 years. 
And so I know all about the stories of, of histories of nations and civilizations and the history of the church. We are beginning to exist in a different era in the United States. It's a different era. It's a different time. At this time, God's people were in Rome were on a collision course with the civil authorities. No doubt about what was going to happen. And the church today in our nation is on a similar course. As Christians, our values are becoming an unpopular minority view. Do you see that where you work? Do you notice that your view is becoming smaller and smaller in acceptance amongst the population? How you could be chastised for standing up for what righteousness is? Because it says in the last days, good will be called evil and evil will be called good. So accept it. That's where we're at. But keep saying it. Keep speaking it. Keep living it. Because that's the call. We now live seeing government regulate hinder, and even oppose us in our beliefs and our practices. So Paul's words were vital in his day, as they are to us today. Let's consider what God says to us in the book of Romans. Those of you who are joining us online and those of us here, would you open your, your Bibles to Romans 13, verses 1 through 7? It's really good to have your own Bible. One of these days, the technology is going to collapse and you won't be able to depend upon the technicians of above to, to place the scriptures. It's really good to write in that Bible and mark that Bible. It's really good to carry that Bible. There's something about having the greatest revelation ever given to man in your hands. There's something to this. Let's look at Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Mm. Look at this next one. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. <clears throat> next slide. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears and you would open our hearts. God, we want to follow Jesus. We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to be disciples that move forward. And Lord, you've got much to say here. So Lord, by your spirit, open our ears, open our hearts that we might hear and obey. Thank you for this word, God, as difficult as some of it may be. Thank you, God, for guiding us and for training us today in righteousness. For your kingdom, Lord God, we submit to you. And we ask you, Father, 
Move in our hearts today as we hear your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, several things are very obvious. I've even stopped my pace when reading them for you to see them. The first thing of, of, of in obvious position in these scriptures is that God is sovereign. You know, that doctrine is throughout the Bible from the beginning to the very end. It's God in control. It's God who's majestic. It's God who's directing. It's God who's overall. It's God who's placing. It's God who's instituting. It's God who's pulling down. It's God who's starting a new thing. It's God who's stopping something else. It's, it's him. It's him. He's sovereign. All these authorities are placed by him. There is no authority that is not placed by him. Are you wrestling with this now? Are you thinking of your boss, the mayor, the governor, the president? Are you thinking of the authorities in your life? And are you affording to them a respectful lens that says God's placed that person in that position. That's the word of God, clearly. See, Paul says to Titus, he said, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to obedient, to be ready for every good work. So we hear Jesus, we hear Paul, we hear Peter, and they're all saying the same thing. Be subject, be submissive to these authorities. There is no authority except from God. We must take this seriously. It's really easy when there's good rulers. It's really easy when things are flowing. But what about in the days of Stalin and Soviet Union? What about the days of Hitler? What about the days of Idi Amin in Uganda? What about the days of elected officials like President Richard Nixon? Do you mean God put them in authority? I don't mean that. God says that. This is what God says. I mean, you can, you can look at it some other way, but you must have lenses that are on backwards and upside down. Because there's only one way to see this. Verse 1 tells us that even the authorities have been established by God and we have the responsibility to obey. Now, earlier in this, in this study in Romans, we heard in chapter 9 that Paul said, hey, even the Pharaoh, you know, that Pharaoh that enslaved you, that Pharaoh that took the Jews into slavery and held them there 400 years, even he was lifted up by God, placed in that position by him. That, that position, that person was established by God. And so let's look at First Peter a little bit. Peter's sitting in Nero's jail. Peter will eventually be tried and he will be executed. And, and Nero had begun by the time Peter was writing, he had begun persecution. And so Peter's sitting in a jail, and here's what he's writing to the brothers and sisters. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Wow. It's funny how when men are in prisons or jails, they, they seem to write very significant words. You know, Paul was in prison when he wrote so many of the letters. God said, this would be a good place for some authorship, Paul. I'm going to put you in prison for a while. Peter's in prison. And he's writing these letters, and we're seeing a new Peter, a passionate Peter, a pastoral Peter, and he's writing to them, be subject to the authorities. Martin Luther King is in this prison and is in this jail in Birmingham, Alabama, for walking the streets and protesting against bad law. And he writes letters from a Birmingham jail. They're some of the most powerful letters ever written on civil disobedience in accordance with God's word. It's funny how sometimes God uses incarceration in people's lives. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was another one that God instituted. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar? He was the king of Babylon. 
He was the king who had, that God used to come and take Jerusalem and conquer Jerusalem and take the Jews into submission. And yet it was true as we watched the story of Nebuchadnezzar that he was arrogant and proud, but God humbled him. And in Daniel chapter 4, you can read about how Nebuchadnezzar came to be humbled before God and to proclaim there is only one God, and he is a great God. He is an incredibly powerful God. But even Nebuchadnezzar was raised up by God. And then we read about uh, King Cyrus of Persia. You can read about him also in Daniel. And King Cyrus was a pagan. But he was a pagan that God used to free the Jews and to allow them to begin to return to the Holy Land. The Lord, our God, called Cyrus his anointed servant. It's strange that pagans, even pagans, are used by God for his purposes. There's nothing that's happening that's, that's happening by chance. It may seem chaotic, but the truth is that God is sovereign and he's ruling over these things. Daniel wrote in 2.21, you might want to write that down. In 2.21, Daniel wrote these words, God is he that changes the times and the seasons, and he is the one who removes kings and he sets up kings. Now, you may wrestle with that, but it's the word of God. The problem for us is we have a duty to obey all authorities. That's our problem. Not just kings and not just presidents. We have to obey police and judges and school teachers, bosses. We have to be submissive to them. But, of course, we don't want to. We don't want to. We're part of Adam and Eve's. Remember, remember our founding parents? God says, don't eat from that tree. <laughs> Authority, weighty, warning, don't. And, of course, what do we see? Our natural bend. They do. And now the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve are the same way. There's a natural pronation for us to disobey. Civil governments have their authority, but this authority is delegated. Now, delegated means it, was, it came from somebody else. Somebody gave the police their power to carry weapons. Somebody gave the police their power to arrest us, to stop us in our normal activity. Somebody gave the, police, somebody gave the power to the judges to judge us. Somebody gave the power to the judge to rule over us and even to sentence us. Somebody gave the power to the IRS to go into my wallet and take my money out of my wallet and take it even before I see it. A delegated power is a power that has been given. That's the kind of language that the, Old, the New Testament is using when it's talking about, hey, they have power, they have power, they have authority. The civil authorities, they have power. And Jesus uses the same term. Let's take a look at the life of Jesus. And let's look at the two classic interactions. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, I think the best thing you can do is study Jesus' life. Every word, if you don't know every word that Jesus has said, you're missing something. If you haven't thought through the Gospels, every Gospel, every encounter, every word that came out of his mouth, because it was perfect. He never sinned, and he never failed, and he never missed a beat. He carried out the Father's will perfectly. And so here you are, and you're going, yeah, but I got this attitude. Yeah, I got this boss. Yeah, I got this problem. Yeah, I can't stand it. Yeah, look at that headline. And oh, my goodness, this and that. But let's look at Jesus who lived in tension, who lived actually as the one who created Pilate for Pete's sake. And Pilate's going to pull the power card on Jesus and throw it on the table as we look at these verses. So let's look at John 19. 
So Pilate says to Jesus, right? Jesus has said, I am a king. He told him that. Jesus can't lie. Are you a king? He said, yeah, I'm a king. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. What do we see in this? Jesus doesn't try to remove Pilate. Jesus doesn't try to overthrow Pilate. He did not disrespect him. Jesus recognized that Pilate had authority over him, and he had a legitimate right to rule in his case. But Jesus spoke the truth, and that's our role as well. Our weapon is the truth. You see, the kingdom that Jesus rules in is a kingdom of truth, and he is the truth. We know this verse well. He is the way, he is the life, and he is the truth. And we are to be living with Christ reigning in us, and we are to be people of the truth, and we are to speak the truth. So the principle that we see here is for us as Christians, we're obliged to be the best citizens we can be, to be subject to civil authorities while we recognize that the state possesses the sword and it's not us. The truth is what we wield as our sword. And guess what? Truth is mightier than the sword. You know, Peter, before the Pentecost, you know, they're arresting Jesus and he pulls out his sword and he whacks off that poor guy's ear. And Jesus says, put away that sword, Peter. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. As Christians, we're not to pull out our swords. We're not, to, we're not to be those that oppose government violently. We're not to be those that will do harm and create chaos and rebellion. We're to be those who are listening to the Holy Spirit, being guided by the Spirit. The other classic text is Matthew 17, 22. It involves the tricky enemies of Jesus when they're asking him question. And they ask him, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus, aware of his malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax, and they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him, and they went away. Jesus was making clear that the state has God-given power. Yet the authority of God is greater. We must worship and obey God, even if it means disobeying Caesar. One author said this, Governments have authority over what we do with our property and how we behave with one another. But our Lord clearly indicates that governments have no right to touch what God has put his image upon, which is the spirit of man. Caesar has no right to command the worship of man and forbid his obedience, our obedience to the word of God. Rulers are under God. Therefore, they have no right to command to do what God says we should not do. Governments are not to enslave men because men belong to God. Governments are not to oppress men because men bear the image of God. In 1954, when we adjusted our Pledge of Allegiance to say one nation under God, we did so because communism was flooding the country. But you know what? It's not one nation under God. All nations are under God. All kingdoms, all principalities, they're all under God. He rules everything. He is fully in control of these things. 
This brings us to a controversy, the controversy of civil disobedience. The Scriptures have plenty of examples of seemingly God-approved acts of disobedience. The Scriptures have plenty of examples of what seems to be God-approved civil disobedience. You know, we think of the midwives who were told, kill the baby Hebrew boys, kill them. The Hebrews were getting to be too large of a number under, under slavery. So the Pharaoh's order was, kill the baby boys. And the midwives said, we won't do that. We refuse to kill the baby children. And in doing so, they saved the life of Moses. Hallelujah. Right? Esther was told, you cannot go in to see the king. It is against the edicts that no one can appear in the audience without being beckoned in. And Esther said, forget that. I'm going in there. And Esther, because she went in to see the king and plead her case, she saved the Hebrew race by her courage and her disobedience. By her disobedience. Daniel prayed three times a day. After they said no one can pray to any other God, Daniel went directly to his room, threw open the window, and said, pardon my French, screw that law. I'm going to pray to the God of heaven that I know and love and serve. And Daniel did so. Of course, it landed him in the lion's den. You follow? Obeying God rather than the law may land you in the lion's den. The three boys, right? We know Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, they do not bow to the king's idol. They refuse to bow to that idol because God has spoken, you shall have no other before me. You shall have no idol before me. Well, what happens to them? They get thrown into the flames. Of course, Jesus rescues them. The fourth figure in the flame, like the Son of Man, Jesus rescues them from the flames, right? Disobedience. Peter tells the authorities, we must obey God, not man, rather than man. Of course, we know Peter will end up in prison. And we know of the apostles, 11 of them are going to die violently at the hands of the authorities. We must, must we always obey Caesar? I'll ask you again. Must we always obey Caesar? Come on, it's no. <laughs> Let's try again. Must we always obey Caesar? No. No. No, because this government is coming from man. This government's coming from a depraved position. Sin and secularism and Satan are influencing our government. Our government's making all kinds of mistakes, and they always have. Governments make mistakes, for Pete's sake, and they make moral mistakes, and they do wicked things, but it's better than anarchy. We're here free, aren't we, right now? I praise God for our police. I praise God for the authorities over us. I praise God for the, that I came here freely today and I'm worshiping God today in this place. I thank God, even though I look at the government, I go, Lord, have mercy on us. He is having mercy on us because he's allowed us to have control and he's allowed us to live in, a, in at least a civilization where there's order yet. I'm checking the clock if you're wondering. <clears throat> The government has no right to silence our preaching of the gospel. They have no right to tell us we can't do what I'm doing right now. The preaching of the gospel is an order from the king. We are to go forth and proclaim the word of God, first here, then there, then everywhere. The government has no right to command us to do perform any immoral act or non-Christian act, like the poor German citizens who were put in by orders of the Nazi government to treat the Jews inhumanely. When the state flagrantly ignores either righteousness or justice, Christians must speak out, and they must take time to act. We must speak out against racism, corruption in government. We must speak out against discrimination. We must speak out against the abuse of power. 
We must work to protect the lives of the unborn and the defenseless. Those that cannot protect themselves, we must protect. Five years ago, I signed a document online. It was called the Manhattan Declaration. And I want you guys to hear some words from it, things that they affirm. And, and I want you to guys to go online. We've put the website in, the, in your program, the Manhattan Declaration, a beautiful document, beautiful document for Christians, for Christians. That's what it's for, for people of like faith. The first thing that they affirm is the profound, inherent, and equal dignity of every human being as a creature fashioned in the very image of God, possessing inherent rights of, the equal, of equality, dignity, and life. The second thing they affirm in this document is marriage, that marriage is a conjugal union of a man and a woman ordained by God from, our, from the creation and historically understood by believers and non-believers alike to be the most basic institution of society. And the third thing that's affirmed in this document is religious liberty, the freedoms for us to practice this faith, which is grounded in the character of God, the example of Christ, and the inherent freedom and dignity of human beings created in the divine image. I suggest you read this document. We don't have time to do more. But would you do that? As a, as a person who's under this dual citizenship, would you do that? And would you submit to some of the ideas that are there? You know, Chad had shared with me a quote that I thought was worth putting here. He wrote and, and said, Dale, here's, here's something I've been thinking about. And as our lead pastor, we need to submit to authority, right? <laughs> we need to come under authority. And Chad's been chosen as, as the lead pastor of our church. And look at what he wrote to us. As a church, our goal is to be biblically motivated, not politically motivated. I count on our church to be active in voting in ways that support biblical values. Although some churches shift with the moving sand of culture, it is important that our people know that we are anchored to the rock of Jesus Christ and how he has revealed we, sh we should live in the word of God. And with that understanding, our church doesn't need to use our platforms for political reasons because our biblical worldview makes our desired influence on the political landscape obvious. Those are good words. Those are weighty words. Because the worldview that we hold is that there is a king. There's a real king. And we belong to this king. And while we live here, we may be under authorities that God has established, but there's one king. And this worldview that people deserve respect and honor, that life is precious, and that the defenseless need to be defended, and that we're to call good, good, and we're to remain voices of the word of God, that we are to speak the truth in the public square. Necessary, very necessary. You see, history has shown repeatedly that when God cannot be part of the public life, then the state becomes the God. I studied history, I know. I'm saying that with authority. When the Soviet Union took God out, the state became God. And those poor Saints, friends, brothers, and sisters in Christ had to live under a state that basically brought the state up to a level of God, G-O-D, small g. And same thing happened in China. And same thing happened in other nations that proposed that there's no God. The state becomes God. We're not to strive to create a theocracy. We're not trying to create one. But a government that we are striving for is to create justice and mercy and liberty for all. History, again, has taught that when the church moves into the political position of power, it fails to remain a spiritual force for Jesus' kingdom. We are to seek first the kingdom of God. Look at what Jesus says in John 15. John 15 makes very clear our fate. 
Jesus speaking to his disciples, speaking to you, speaking to me. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus, Matthew 5, laying out the Beatitudes, the blesseds, right? And what does he say in, in Matthew 5, 11 and 12? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely. On my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For they so persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, there's a great cloud of witnesses watching us. Isn't that what the Word of God says? So great a cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. And they're, they're, they're cheering us on. They're hoping that this, this church that's now in the military state will become with them the church victorious. And they're watching how are we dealing with this. You see, most of our ancestors who are with the Lord, they lived under persecution. They lived under governments that were evil, governments that were corrupt. And yet they continue to carry the cross and they continue to wave this book as the foundation of civilization. I got to close quickly here. This government that we have, all levels, is divinely ordained. God has ordained this government, these levels of government. The consequences of disobedience is you're going to catch God's wrath and his judgment. When you just go out and disobey, when you go, I'm cheating on my taxes, I'm going to ride 90 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour zone, I'm just going to defy this authority, you're showing an attitude that lacks submission. And God calls us to submit, not only in performance, but in attitude. And there's a necessity of conscience. See, my mom used to say this. And see, would you, would you mind finishing the phrase? Let your conscience... Boy, mom always said that. Mom, I don't know what to do. Mom, I don't know if I should do this. And mom would say, let your conscience be your guide. But consciences aren't perfect, but they are a gift from God. We do know right from wrong so very often. We know what we can do, right? What we should do. See, the role of conscience is very important. So recently, when Kim Davis of Kentucky announced her conscience could not allow her to issue wedding licenses to the same-sex couples, she refused to do so and was, in, was incarcerated for several days. I'm not sure that I can untangle all the legal legalities involved in this. I, I can't untangle all those. But I deeply respect her courage. Her courage to say, I, I'm following my conscience. My conscience won't allow me to do this. In so doing, boy, she got into a lineup of men and women through the centuries who said, I can't. I know it's the law, but I can't. I know it's what you're ruling, but I can't because my conscience won't allow me because my conscience by the Holy Spirit is directing me. And I know it's going to be a consequence. I know the sword's going to come against me. By referring to conscience, Paul is talking about that internal motivation. Combining Paul's thoughts, we can say God desires us to practice a fuller and deeper obedience, one that emerges from the heart. We are to have an attitude of submission even when we disobey specific laws. Can I disobey and yet be submissive? Yes, I can. Jesus did. The apostles did. We can disobey but still be submissive. 
You see, Paul didn't write to them and say, okay, you guys, obey the laws of the land. He did not say that. But what he did say was that we are to respect whom respect is due, and we are to honor who honor is due. And all authorities have been placed by God. Therefore, we need to honor those authorities. We must not comply with the righteous demands of government. We must cooperate in spirit. Not only will comply, but cooperate in our spirits. In so doing, our conscience will be clear and our testimony untainted. Remember this, last couple words. The state is directed by people that are prone to sin. They're prone to corruption. They are depraved in their thinking. They're corrupted by sin and Satan and secularism. The government makes mistakes. The government will always need supervision due to its corruption, but the authorities are to be a regular target for our prayers. You see, we have a weapon they don't have. We have, a, we have a source of power they know nothing of, and that is the power of prayer. We are told to pray always, and we are certainly told over and over in the Scriptures, pray for those that are in authority over you. Always keep in prayer for them. Yet we must remember this, that the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God. That His kingdom is eternal and it's everlasting, perfectly led, perfectly free we will be from sin and its tragic consequences, we will have this fellowship with God forever. We as believers are to be motivated to live for the, for the world to come. Jesus said to us, lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not corrupt it. The greatest blessing for those of us who trust and obey in Jesus Christ will be his glorious presence, that we will be with him forever. We will fellowship with Jesus and that's what makes heaven, heaven. A word to take home. The British used to tell the colonists this, and I'm telling you this. Hey, pray, pay, and obey while faithfully following Jesus as our king. Today I'm asking you on a response card, would you consider surrendering today? You don't surrender once in your Christian walk. You surrender over and over and over. Today I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. Maybe that's what you want to do. Let us know and walk with us in that surrender. Walk with us. Secondly, maybe today you're saying this prayer that today as never before I'm pleading with you to forgive my sins and cause me to turn from my sinful past to you. I acknowledge you that your son Jesus, he was the only path and the only way to eternal life. This prayer, his death and resurrection are my only hope for being received into your home in heaven forever. I do not deserve this gift of salvation, but receive it through your grace and by faith. I put all my trust in Christ alone. I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.